Yo, check this out. My name is Ezra Hill, and right now, I'm introducing you to my podcast. It's called Hill of Beans. It's a podcast about nothing and everything. My co-host Casey and I are going to be breaking down life from the perspective of two Midwestern middle-aged minds. We're not experts, just ordinary everyday people like you trying to navigate this vessel called life. And these waters can get rough. Our goal is to help keep you on course without having to abandon ship. So, I hope you'll enjoy our episodes. You just might find them inadvertently interesting and informative. And hopefully it'll amount to more than a hill of beans. This is Casey Lucas, and this is the timeline of the Delphi murders, Abby and Libby. On Sunday, February 12th, 2017, Liberty German and Abigail Williams decided to have a sleepover at Liberty's house, knowing that they did not have school the next day because of built-in snow days. Liberty was 14 years old and Abigail Williams was 13. The girls do typical sleepover activities and Liberty's older sister, Kelsey, joins in that night. Kelsey said the night was great and they ate pizza and watched movies. Abby and Libby stayed up late. They paint a sign that says chocolate and take videos of each other just being goofy. On Monday, February 13th, 2017, approximately 10 a.m., the girls sleep in because they had been up late. Libby's father, Derek, makes them pancakes for breakfast. It's a very normal day. Libby's grandmother, Becky, makes a deal with the girls. She says if the girls help with her filing work, She'll give them some spending money, and maybe later on that day, she'll take them out shopping or go spend money that they had earned. The girls happily help with Becky's work. On this same day, at 12 o'clock p.m., please note, a suspicious vehicle is parked at the abandoned CPS DCS building on the east side of County Road 300 North next to the Hoosier Heartland Highway. This was reported. 1 o'clock p.m., the girls ask Liberty's grandmother, Becky, if they could go to the Monon High Bridge Trail. Becky says yes. The trail is considered to be a hangout for local teens their age. The girls were familiar with the Monon Bridge, and Libby would often visit the trail with her older sister to take photos. The girls then ask Liberty's older sister, Kelsey, to drive them. Kelsey says she can drive them there, but she cannot drive them back because she had plans to go to a friend's house and then work. 1.30 p.m., Kelsey picks up the girls to take them to the bridge. Phone records indicate Kelsey's boyfriend calls her at 1.38. Kelsey remembers already being on the phone with him when she dropped the girls off, meaning the drop-off could not have been any earlier than 1.38 p.m. Around this time, Libby calls and asks her dad, Derek, if he could give them a ride back. Derek agrees to be their ride back from the trail. Derek says he'll pick them up once he's done taking photos for Becky's business. There was no time set for the girls to be picked up. Derek said he would call or text them once he was getting close to arriving, and then they'd return to the trailhead. Approximately 1.40 p.m., Kelsey drops them off at the entrance of the Monon High Bridge Trail that is across from the Mears Farm, an unofficial parking area. They were not dropped off at the Freedom Bridge parking area. Kelsey watches the girls walk until they get onto the trail. Kelsey does not notice anything unusual at the parking area before driving off. An unknown time, 
that we know for sure is that Abby and Libby reach the beginning of the bridge. Approximately at 2.05 p.m., Liberty German uploads to Snapchat a picture of the Monon Bridge. 2.07 p.m., Libby uploads a picture of Abby walking on the bridge to Snapchat. Both of these snaps were posted directly to Libby's story, meaning it was a post that was viewable by any one of Libby's friends added on Snapchat. At an unknown time after the two Snapchat uploads, Liberty starts taking a video on her cell phone. The police say the girls mostly talk about girl stuff. But later on in the recording, there's a mention of a man they notice behind them on the bridge. In the released video, it is believed that Libby's perspective is from the southeastern side of the bridge, looking backwards towards the northwestern side of the bridge. It has been theorized that the offender pulled a weapon or found a way to make the girls comply with his orders. According to an audio snippet from Libby's video recording, at some point, the offender says, guys, down the hill. The path the girls and the offender took after leaving the bridge is unknown. Call records show Derek called Libby at 3.11 p.m. intending to tell them that he was getting close and they should start heading back to be picked up. At 3.14 p.m., Derek pulls into the parking area and does not see the girls. Derek calls Liberty's phone, but no one picks up. Derek knows it's not like Liberty to ignore his texts and phone calls, especially when she was expecting him to call. He parks his car and begins walking the trails to search for the girls. Derek reaches the point around 3.15 p.m. where the trails intersect and he stops a man dressed in a flannel shirt who is approaching the intersection coming from the 501 trail. Derek asks the man with the flannel shirt, did you happen to see two girls up there? And the man replied, no, I did not, but there's a couple on the bridge. This man with a flannel shirt later becomes a key witness in this case, and he is among the first to give a witness account to law enforcement. Online discussion outlets have nicknamed him Flannel Shirt Guy, FSG. Because Flannel Shirt Guy did not see the girls on the 501 trail, Derek starts walking the other trail that leads directly to the creek edge, called the 505 trail. 3.30 p.m., Derek does not see the girls on the 505, so he returns back up to the trail intersection. Derek calls his mother, Becky, and tells her about not being able to find the girls. Derek asks Becky to try contacting them also. Tara, who is Libby's aunt, was with Becky at the time. Both Becky and Tara start repeatedly calling and texting Libby. They receive no response. From the trail intersection, Derek walks down the trail leading to the Freedom Bridge. After not seeing the girls there, he turns around and heads back to the intersection, passing Flannel Shirt Guy along his way back. Approximately 4 o'clock p.m., Derek returns to his car at the parking area. At this point, the family, Becky, Tara, and Derek, have been trying to get a hold of Libby for half an hour with no response. Worry sets in. Becky and Tara decide to go to the trail to help Derek look for them. Tara drives straight to the trail while Becky makes a few calls before leaving. 
Becky calls her husband, Liberty's grandpa, Mike, who is at work in Lafayette, Indiana, and alerts him of the situation. Mike decides to take off work and drive to the trail to help search. Becky calls Kelsey and alerts her to the situation. Kelsey says she'll call her work and delay her work shift by a few hours so she could go help search. Kelsey leaves her boyfriend's house and starts driving to the trail. Tara drives up to the parking area and Derek gets into the car. He explains to Tara the details of where he, he has searched on the trail so far. They briefly wait in the car for Becky and Mike to arrive so they can plan out who will search where and cover more ground. Reports of seeing Derek talking to someone in an unknown car in the parking area were at one time used to cast unfounded suspicion on him in online discussions. Becky and Cody arrive at the parking area, but there are no available parking spots, so they park in a ditch nearby. It should be noted that there were several non-family vehicles and people at the trail at this time. The family members, Mike, Becky, Derek, Tara, Cody, and Kelsey, meet up and start searching the area for the girls. Kelsey and Cody cross the Monon High Bridge and arrive at the southeast end. They can see down a hill to the private driveway. They spend 20 to 30 minutes yelling the girl's name from there, but hear no response. From this location, Kelsey calls Libby's phone. She believes the call went through because she could hear it ringing in her phone, but Kelsey could not hear it ringing in the area. Kelsey's personal belief was the trail area was quiet enough that if the phone had been ringing, she would have heard it. It is possible that Libby's phone was set to silent or vibrate. At 5.20 p.m., the family calls the police, and Libby and Abby are officially reported missing. Police arrive on the scene and start searching quickly. Family members use social media to ask for volunteers to help in the search. At 6 o'clock, a massive search begins. Having heard of the missing girls through social media, concerned residents show up and aid in the search in the coordination with the Carroll County Sheriff's Department, Delphi Police Department, and Delphi Fire Department. The fire station is used as a staging ground for volunteers. Together, they search the trails and surrounding areas. Meanwhile, Libby's sister Kelsey goes to the police station where they ask her about what she remembers from dropping the girls off earlier. Kelsey also shows the police the two snapshots posted to Libby's story. At some point, Mike returns to the house to gather all electronics, like iPads, iPods, computers, anything that's relevant, like the cell phone information. At 10.29 p.m. that evening, Indie Channel article reports the girls' cell phones are either dead or turned off. At around 12 a.m., the officially sanctioned search is called off by law enforcement due to darkness and a concern for volunteer safety. The search is planned to resume the next morning. Carroll County Sheriff says in a new release that there is no reason to suspect foul play or to believe that the girls are in immediate danger. The biggest concern is exposure to the elements. Firefighters and civilians unofficially continued to search through the night. Up story tonight, two Carroll County girls have gone missing near the Monon High Bridge Trail in Delphi. News 18's Alexis Moberger joins us live and reports how several law enforcement agencies are looking for them. Alexis. 
Brittany, the two 13-year-old girls went missing hours ago and were told they haven't been answering their phones ever since. The Carroll County Sheriff's Office say the girls were last seen around 1 o'clock this afternoon near the Monon Highbridge Trail. Liberty or Libby German and Abigail Williams were dropped off by a family member. When she came back to pick them up around the arranged time, they never showed up. The Sheriff's Office was then notified around 5.30 tonight and right now several deputies are out looking for the two girls and are even using drones to help locate them. We're also told that DNR is out by the water searching and trying to locate the girls as well. Police are asking for the public's help. If anyone knows anything about where they could be or where they were last seen, they are encouraged to contact the Carroll County Sheriff's Office. We will be following this story and we'll bring you updates as they become available. Reporting live in Carroll County, Alexis Moberger, News 18. On February 14th, 2017, at 2 o'clock p.m., a joint press conference is held by law enforcement with Indiana State Police, Carroll County Sheriff, and Delphi Police Chief. They announced that two bodies had been found, but they do not confirm the identities of the bodies as Libby and Abby. They said search efforts will now be scaled back. They said the matter is now being investigated as a crime scene and that they suspect foul play. When asked by a reporter, why do you believe there is foul play? Kim Riley responded, just the way the bodies were found, that's all I can say at this point in time. And when asked, were they in the water? He responded, they were on the edge of the water. From what I understand, that's about all I can tell you. 3 o'clock p.m., Indiana State Police and the Carroll County Sheriff's Department hold a news conference confirming that the bodies found Tuesday are those of Abby and Libby. They say the case is being investigated as a double homicide. Part 2. The Evidence On April 22, 2019, a sketch of the person who the Indiana State Police believe attacked Libby and Abby was released during a press conference detailing a new direction in the investigation. This sketch replaces an older sketch that was provided on July 17, 2017. The previous sketch was a composite sketch and was an artist composite of the information collected by all the agencies involved in the double murder investigation, including the FBI. The official stated reason for this change, according to the press release, is... As the investigation had progressed, information has been continuously reviewed and examined, and this sketch is more accurately of the face of the suspect from the video recorded on Liberty German's cell phone while she and Abigail were on the high bridge. During the conference, police superintendent Doug Carter said, we have concluded the first sketch release will become secondary as of today. The result of the new information intelligence over time leads us to believe this sketch, which you will see shortly in person, responsible for the murders of these two little girls. The police asked members of the Delphi community to reflect back on people that they know in the community that look similar to the sketch released on April 22nd, especially if that person has changed their appearance since the murders occurred in February of 2017. Okay, guys, this is where things get really weird. Um, from a source, they say that the new sketch was actually created earlier than the old sketch. So for me, this brings up a big question. Why switch focus to another? 
Knowing that the sketches are two different people brings up the question, why did the investigation switch focus from the first suspect to another? In a podcast by Best Case, Worst Case claims to have heard from their sources that the man in the July 17th sketch was arrested and cleared, hence the change of suspects. Now, let's talk about some of the people that were checked into. In those early days, and at times later, investigators looked at the man who owned the property along where the girls were found. For more than 50 years, Ronald Logan lived on County Road 300 North near the trail that leads to the Monon High Bridge. Logan's home was searched, and FBI agents speculated about his possible involvement in the homicides, but no evidence was ever found linking Logan to the murders. The FBI agent noted that the 77-year-old Logan appeared to be in good physical condition and his voice was not inconsistent with that of the voice captured on German's phone. The FBI agent also claimed that text messages sent to and from Logan's phone the evening of February 13, 2017 showed he was likely outside his home and in proximity of where LG and AW's bodies were located. The agent noted that Logan had been physically able to get up and down the hill from his home to the crime scene when he met with the officers on February 17th. The agent was specific that they believed Logan could be involved in the murders. The FBI got permission to search the entire property, including Logan's home, garage, his pickup truck, computers, and cell phones. A previous search of Logan's home on February 16th for a parole violation noted he had numerous weapons, including handguns and knives. Logan died in 2020 and was never officially named a suspect in the Delphi murders. It was seeming like another year would slip by. Until December 2021, that's when police announced a possible break in the case. A fake social media account by the name of Anthony Schatz was found to have communicated with Liberty shortly before the killings. The account was linked back to a man who lived about 30 minutes away and was a suspect in a child porn case. Breaking news at 11, a new development in the Delphi murders investigation. State police say they've discovered a fake social media profile while investigating the deaths of Libby German and Abby Williams. Now they need your help to find the person behind that account. They believe this person was essentially catfishing underage girls, trying to get nude photos of them, their addresses, even meet up with them. So I want you to take a look. Indiana State Police shared these pictures from a profile called Anthony underscore shots. Now we do need to stress police know who the male model is in these pictures. He is not a person of interest. Detectives instead want to learn more about the person who created this account to lure young girls. They tell us it was used on Snapchat, on Instagram, and other social media platforms from 2016 to 2017. In addition to the pictures of that model, the person also portrayed himself as being extremely wealthy and owning numerous sports cars. So if any of this looks, sounds familiar, if you had contact at all with that fake profile. The case seemed to center around that individual for much of 2022. He was questioned but denied having any involvement in the Delphi killings. That man was never charged. Then on October 26, law enforcement arrested 50-year-old Richard M. Allen of Delphi he was formally charged with two counts of felony murder on October 28th. 
closer look at a key piece of evidence that police say links Richard Allen to the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. It's been almost six years since the two Delphi teens were killed. And just 24 hours ago, we got our first glimpse at what led police to Allen all these years later. Court documents reveal they found an unfired bullet just two feet away from Libby's body. And investigators say they linked that bullet to a gun that Allen owned. But how does that tracing process work? Rich and I went to a gun store today to see a pistol like Allen's and how a traceable bullet may have been left at the crime scene. We'll go ahead and load the magazine in there. At Beach Grove Firearms, we got an up-close look at a Sig Sauer P226, the same gun owned by Delphi murder suspect Richard Allen. Drop the slide release. Chambering our first round. Court records say a 40 caliber unfired bullet was found between the bodies of Abby Williams and Libby German. When the slide of the loaded chamber is pulled back, the bullet cartridge is ejected. When one flies out, you may not see where it goes. And in, in a wooded area, it might be under leaves or brush or anything. Right? Very well could be. Why would you unchamber a bullet that hasn't been fired? I have no idea. Um, I guess there could be a few reasons. One off the top of my head is if the primer, uh, when struck by the firing pin, did not go off. We're using snap caps, dummy rounds for safety and demonstration. The state police laboratory says that unfired bullet they found on the ground near the girls' bodies has markings on it, which they can match to Richard Allen's gun. When a bullet is cycled in the chamber, microscopic scratches are made on the cartridge. The state police lab tested Allen's gun and concluded the bullet near the bodies came out of his pistol. The lab says the interpretation of identification is subjective in nature and based on relevant scientific research and the reporting examiner's training and experience. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I hope this is a good recap to get you guys caught up um, on the Delphi murders and what happened the day that the girls went missing, the current suspect that has been arrested, uh, Richard Allen, and those that were investigated during the investigation. There's a lot to be talked about that's coming up that the defense case has released um, that we have access to. Just note that we do now know that these girls were not shot and we have no DNA on Richard Allen. We have absolutely nothing at this point besides a bullet that was not used that was found around their body. Right now, me and Ezra are going to get ready to talk through this case. We're going to talk about the new um, defense case and what they're saying the reasons are of why Richard Allen could not have committed this murder. So here we are this many years later, and this is one heck of a case with a lot of twists and turns. So hang in there with us. You guys, you can reach us at hfbeans at gmail.com if you want to shoot us a direct email, or you can join our Facebook group where we talk about random things, good conversation, some of our information on our podcasts, and look for feedback from you guys and get you guys engaged with us. That Facebook page is Hill of Beans with Ezra Hill and Casey Lucas.